I wonder if St. Paul had this problem. I'm on now. You know, the only time that you ever mention sound men is when something goes wrong. I don't believe I've ever heard anybody say, well, glory to God, wasn't the sound great today? <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that. I've come with a very troubled heart, and I'm going to be preaching along that line. I had intended to preach a prophetic message today on Babylon, Syria, Russia, and North Korea in prophecy, and that's all in prophecy. And uh, I had intended to preach that I had come with a, with a heart that's somewhat troubled. Let me just say this to you. I received a telephone call several weeks ago from a man who sat here and listened to me preach last year and listened to these other preachers. He's a pastor. And he came and he called me and he said, could I have a word with you? And I said, yes, that'll be fine. Now, you got me fixed up. All right. He said, I need you to pray for me. I said, all right, what is your problem? Now, are you listening to me? Listen, listen to what I'm about to say. I sat there as a pastor of a church. I am now sitting in a jail for child molestation. I had a sin in my life and it wasn't much of a sin. But I didn't deal with it. While you'll be preaching, I'll be in jail for child molestation. So I want to ask this question. Where are you, preacher? You're sitting here with a sin in your life. It's not a big sin. It's not the kind you go to the altar over. It's a little sin. May I remind you that Romans 1 verse 26 says that you keep Keep that sin in your life. You refuse to confess that sin. And the Bible says, I will turn you over to a vile affection. You will end up doing things that you never dreamed it would be possible for you to do. Because no longer has God any interest in your soul. You have been given up body, soul, and spirit which I believe is the unpardonable sin. Where are you, preacher? Preacher's wife, where are you? Staff member, layman, you're seated here today. You've got something in your life, and God has been dealing with you on it, but you're not about to give it up. I'm going to tell you right now, are you listening? Say we're listening. I'm going to tell you what I would do if I were you. Right this minute, I'd get up from that pew. Right this come to this altar and I'd get on my knees and I'd confess it before God or else before the year is done I may get another telephone call. You cannot mollycoddle your sins in front of a holy God. And I am convinced with all of my heart 
There are people that are seated in this building today, and I am telling you, you're seated in this building today, and you don't want to embarrass yourself. And Are you listening? Are you listening? I'm about to say something that I believe God gave me that I've never said before. You got a little sin in your life. You don't want to give it up. You will repent. You can either do it now before the damage is done or you'll do it later because the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. If I were you, I'd give it up now before the judgment. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. I, there's an old sermon text many years ago I preached but I'm going to preach it differently today on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the signs of his coming. I never preached it like I'm going to preach it today. And I want to tell you the reason that I, I'm not preaching the message that I intend to preach it. I am telling you with all my heart, there's not a manipulative bone in my body, but I am convinced with all that there is within me that somebody is sitting here today and you're just like that man that called me. You've hidden your sin. You've covered it up. Nobody knows about it. But unless you deal with it, you are headed for a ruined life. And I'm the last red light on the highway of destruction saying, Stop! Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now take your ink pen and underline things which must shortly come to pass. Underline that. That really means in the Greek things that when they begin to happen are going to happen with rapid fashion. John is saying that shortly before Jesus comes, there's going to be a series of supernatural phenomenon that are going to happen in a brief span of time. I am going to show you from the Word of God a series of supernatural phenomenon that have happened in my lifetime. I was born in 1945, so everything that I'm going to show you has happened in my lifetime. That's a very brief span of time. Now to start that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke because we're going to go all over the Bible today. How many of you brought an ink pen with you? Raise your hand. Don't come to hear me preach without an ink pen. That's like a deacon coming without his cigarettes. You got to have your ink pen. <laughs> Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 16, 16, 26. I'm sorry. Luke 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." Jesus said when social conditions become as they were during the lifetime of two Old Testament characters, you can know that I am about to come. One of them was Noah. How was it during the days of Noah? They did eat. You say, Brother Harold, everybody's got to eat. Not like we do. Thank God for strong pews. Amen. 
they did eat. The American Medical Association said that last year, over half the people who died in America from all causes died either directly or indirectly from eating too much. We are digging our graves with our spoons. You know I can preach against drunkenness and homosexuality, but when I began to talk about gluttony, it starts getting a little quiet in the house of God. Amen? I said amen. amen. Now all the fat people say amen. <laughs> I heard about a woman went to the doctor and said, what's wrong with me? He checked her out and she's, he said, you're too fat. She said, I want a second opinion. He said, well, you're ugly too. <laughs> we didn't overeat when I was growing up as a kid in Cookville, Tennessee. You didn't have a Kentucky Fried Chicken on this corner and a McDonald's on that corner. You either ate at home or you didn't eat. They did eat. Then the Bible says they drank. We have the most drunken society in the history of America. Did you know that last year there were over 34 and a half gallons of beverage alcohol sold for every man, woman, boy, and girl in America? Did you know that when war was being decided against Iraq, the GOP caucuses and the Democratic caucuses meeting in private all had cocktails being served to them when these lawmakers were going to be deciding the possible deaths of young men in Lebanon, Tennessee. Shame on us! We're a drunken society. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not God's man. You're not God's woman. If you say, well, I think it's all right to have me a good cold Budweiser on a July day after mowing the lawn, or I get me a glass of wine down at the steakhouse on a Friday night. You're not God's man. You're not God's woman if you believe that. Let me tell you something. It's a sin to drink a thimble full just like it is to drink a fifth. You say, well, I just don't think I believe that. I believe I can find something. Now, remember, I was the president of a seminary. Don't come up here and try to prove to me. You're going to show yourself being stupid. All I can tell you is this. Are you listening? Say we're listening. When I was pastoring North Jacksonville Baptist Church, on a given Sunday, we had about 4,000 there. And I got in a big way of preaching. How many preachers we got here? Raise your hand. You ever get in a big way of preaching? You get in a big way of preaching. Just sort of get carried away. And I got carried away and I said, hey, if you're going to get down at the steakhouse on a Friday night or out at the country club and you're going to have you a dram or you're going to have a fifth or you're going to have a can of beer, then I got a suggestion for you. Why don't you either repent or leave this church? I had 17 to leave. Now, when you're running 4,000, that don't really matter. How many of you pastors raise your hand? You know, when people leave, even if you know you're better off without them, it bothers you, doesn't it? Come on, that doesn't it bother you? So I was being bothered about that rock. 
And I was driving down the highway one day and I got to listening to C.M. Ward, that great Assembly of God preacher. How many of y'all ever heard C.M. Ward? So I was driving down the road listening to C.M. Ward. He's in heaven now. And he was preaching to young preachers. And he said, now, young preachers, if, uh, if you say something from the pulpit that's from the Word of God and people get their feelings hurt and leave your church, don't worry about it. Don't be bothered about it. Because in the Bible, the church is called a body and every healthy body needs a good bowel movement every once in a while. I know you're saying, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> There's one thing you'll never hear some good old boy out on the porch today say to another. You'll never hear one say, I wonder what he meant. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead. They bought, they sold, they planted, or they married wives. You say, well, what's wrong with marrying wives? Look at it, it's plural. Now, there's some of you here that are divorced. God's already heaped enough judgment on you and you've got enough guilt and the devil's messed your mind up enough. I'm not here to trouble you anymore. Some of the finest Christians I know were married, divorced, and remarried. But having said all of that, the American pulpit is strangely silent that marriage is between a godly man and a godly woman until death do they part. All right, let's see how it actually was with Noah. Go over to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Now, we got any deacons here? That's the first book in the Bible. Genesis Chapter 6, verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with, what's that next word? What is it? Say it out loud again. The earth is filled with violence. We are scarcely six chapters into the first book of the Bible, and the Bible says the world was filled with violence. It wasn't that way when I was growing up in Cookville, Tennessee. You say, what about World War II? World War II wasn't fought at all on American soil. This says the whole world was filled with violence. When I was living in Cookville, Tennessee, we'd go to bed at night and never lock the doors. <laughs> How many of y'all were raised in a house where you'd go to bed at night and never lock the door? Raise your hand. Put your hands down. How many of y'all going to go home tonight? And go to bed without locking the door, raise your hand because we want to pray for you because you're crazy. <laughs> I take all the precautions. We got an alarm system. I got locked doors. I got a loaded gun. Thinking about getting a chihuahua with a bad attitude. <laughs> the world is filled with violence. We used to think of violence as being New York or Los Angeles. It's everywhere now. I wouldn't want a woman of any age or a girl of any age to walk down the street unescorted by a man after midnight right by this church. I wouldn't want to do it for fear of your well-being. 
The world is filled with violence. Sign number one, that's all happened since 1945. Violence is literally everywhere. Now, he also said, as it was in the days of Lot, look at Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Because of Abraham's prayer, some angels are sent, two angels are sent to talk to his nephew Lot and to tell him, you need to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. And say they talked with Lot. And I want you to see what the Bible says. In verse 3, And he pressed upon them greatly, these two angels, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people of every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now isn't that sweet? Here is the Sodom and Gomorrah welcome wagon. Let's go out, go to the Dairy Queen, have some ice cream. We want to get to know these angels. Is that what he meant? No. The word, we want to know them. The Hebrew word is yada. It means... We want to have sexual relations with them. Ah, preacher, you just kind of quote that language. That may or may not be so. We'll look at the next verse. The Bible says in verse 6, And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as it's good in your own eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. What a sorry daddy. He looked at that bunch of perverts. He said, I got two virgin daughters here. I'm going to bring them out. You do whatever you want to to them. What a sorry daddy. But it's proof positive that he knew that these wicked men of Sodom and Gomorrah only had one thing in mind. And that was to have sex with men. You say, so what? We've always had homosexuals. Margaret Mead, professor of anthropology at Columbia University, probably the greatest anthropologist that ever lived, said shortly before her death, not too long ago, she said, not, listen, listen, not since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah has society accepted homosexuality as a valid alternative sexual lifestyle? Not since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah has society, has government said it's perfectly all right to be a homosexual. Well, I don't care what a president says. I don't care what a Supreme Court says. I don't care what a Congress says. I don't care what some misguided idiot preacher says. The Word of God says God finds it abominable. But having said all of that, preachers, I find you abominable if you make fun of homosexuality in your pulpit so you can get a laugh or you can get some applause. Because I want to tell you something. I'll guarantee you there are people right here in this room who have a son or a daughter or a niece or a brother or sister that are caught up in that sin and it breaks their heart and you're getting a laugh off of a broken heart. Shame on you!
Do you know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? Well, yeah, homosexuality. No, it wasn't. Look it up. Look it up with me. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. Turn over there with me. Ezekiel chapter 16, rather. Turn over there with me. You say, where is Ezekiel? Go to Psalms, take a right, and hope for the best. When you got it, say, I got it. Ezekiel chapter 16. Now watch this, verse 49. Watch it, watch it. You got it? Say, I got it. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Not a word about homosexuality. Look at me. Not a word about homosexuality. You know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? Too much pride, too much to eat, and too much leisure time on their hands. Too much food, too much leisure time, too much pride. Look at me, and it kept them from God. Look at me, and it kept them from God. Are you listening? And it kept them from God. Hey, you wouldn't think there's anything wrong with pride, fullness of time, fullness of bread. Why, that's not like adultery. That's not like murder. That's not like idol worship. But they kept on and they kept on and they wouldn't recognize it and God turned them over to a reprobate mind as I said at the beginning of this sermon. Homosexuality in Sodom was not as much a sin as it was God's judgment upon them. I started out this sermon. Man here last year. Little sin in his life. But he didn't deal with it. Sat right where you're sitting. Maybe had a suit and tie on. Maybe had his King James Bible. Maybe he was taking notes. But he had a sin. Nobody knew about it. His wife didn't know about it. His children didn't know about it. His church didn't know about it. But God knew about it. He's now going to be in a sexual offender register. He'll be lucky if he doesn't spend time in prison. You know what he told me, Brother Rock? I never had a sexual desire for a child. Never. Let me tell you something, folks. You turn your back on God on any kind of sin. You don't have any idea the horrendousness of the sin that Satan will suck you into. And you'll wake up one day and say, I never had a thought of doing that. No, you didn't. But Satan did. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality. It was, but it wasn't. The reality of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Ezekiel, do you believe the Bible? Say amen. They had too much time on their hands. Too much pride, too much to eat, and they wouldn't give it up. And God judged them. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. I got to hurry. Rock took all my time. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. There's another sign that Jesus is coming. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. 
And I want you to follow with me as I begin to read in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 12. And God shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. Underline this from the four corners of the earth. That was an absolute impossibility till 1948. As a result of the horrendous Holocaust, the promised land was given back to Israel. And they went home. There is no way they could have been gathered from the four corners of the earth. They, there was no possibility of that until 1948. And now they're going home. Last year, the biggest sociological news coming out of Russia is that 600,000 Russian Jews were going home. I asked a medical doctor that I met in Israel one day. He had lost his leg, had it amputated in the Six-Day War. I said, why did you come back home? He said, this is not my home. I was born in America. But one day I woke up and there was just an unsettled feeling in my heart that America is no longer my home. Israel is. Hey, folks, that's the Spirit of God saying to the Jew in Russia, come home. To America, come home. In South America, come home. In Spain, come home. And they're coming home by the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. Couldn't have happened until 1948. Let's look at another sign of the end of time. Turn to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Verse 3, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. It didn't become the blood of a dead man. It became as the blood of a dead man. What's the blood of a dead man? It can't sustain life. can't sustain life. I have a rare blood disease. I took 121 pints of blood in eight days on one occasion. What if a doctor had said, we've run out of blood. Can we get some blood? And Brother Glenn's standing there and he said, oh, I can help you. We got a cemetery down there pretty close to Hillcrest. They're not using their blood. Let you dig them up. Give Brother Harold some of their blood. You say, ah, that's foolish. Yeah, because the dead man's blood can't sustain life. I was preaching in Houston, Texas. The Houston Chronicle newspaper had a headline, the Rio Grande River that separates the United States from Mexico is quickly becoming a dead river. Life is dying in it. I was preaching a crusade in Nebraska. They said the same thing about the Platte River. I was in Memphis preaching. They said the same thing about the Mississippi River. Even today, along the coastline of America, all the way from Maine, down along the eastern seaboard, around the pinnacle of Florida, north of the Gulf of Mexico, all the way to Brownsville, Texas. The water is so polluted, it's not safe to eat uncooked seafood. Don't you see that in the restaurant menus when you go in? The waterways are being polluted. And I love seafood. Raw, I, like, I like raw oysters. How many of y'all like raw oysters? How many of you never eaten raw oysters? Let me tell you what it's like. Let me tell you what it's like. The next time you got the flu, I mean water's coming out everywhere. Coming out of here, nose, ears, under your fingernails. I mean water's coming out everywhere. Stick your tongue out. Hack real good. Get all that phlegm up on your tongue. Then put some lemon juice and cocktail sauce and swallow. 
That's kind of what it tastes like. But I'm never going to eat raw oysters again. You say, well, count me in. I'm not after that either. Because it's unhealthy. I was sitting in Indiana that they picked up a newspaper. A woman had just died from eating a raw oyster. Try this on. The waterways of the world are going to be like the blood of a dead man. Look at me. Food and Drug Administration said some time back, 62% of the treated water that comes through your pipes is so polluted it's not fit to drink. I can remember when I was a boy swimming in creeks and rivers that's so dirty today I wouldn't stick my big toe in them. Y'all ever done that? I'd have got to hurry. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is coming. Look at Luke chapter 21. And I want you to follow with me in verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress. Circle that word distress. You know what that word distress means in the Greek? It means to be crowded in from all sides with perplexity means with no way out. Anybody here like that today? Do you feel like you're crowded in with all sides and no way out? Look at it. It's especially true with nations. Distress of nations. You know anybody that's got to answer to all our problems? We used to have a Winston Churchill. Do you know anybody in the world that can solve our problems? Do you hear what the president of France said sometime back? The world is in such a mess. If a man arrives on the political scene, that is the devil himself. If he's got an answer, I suggest we turn the world over to him. We're going to do that. That's the Antichrist. We're going to do that. Now, if you're non-millennialist, you don't have to worry about that. But us that are premillennial, we got to worry about it. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead. Men's hearts failing them for fear. You know what the number one killer in America is? Strokes and heart disease. I've got a pig valve in my heart. I asked my cardiologist one time. I said, he's a godly man. I said, the Bible says that at the end of time, just before Jesus comes, men's hearts are going to fail them for anxiety and fear. How long has that been? He said, up until just after World War II, Heart disease was not a problem. Everybody ate healthy. They ate what they grew. You didn't have all the preservatives. You didn't have all the chemicals. During World War II, women began to take men's jobs because they were on the battlefield, and they began to work until the men got home. Well, guess what? When the men got home, they still wanted to work, and I'm not against the working woman, but what's happened now, it's... We want more, and we want a better vacation, and we want a better car. And they're working, 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 putting themselves under stress. They're not getting exercise. They're eating the wrong kind of foods. And then is when heart disease came rampant. After 1945. Now look at this. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. 
I want you to take your ink pen and circle the word power. In the Greek, there's two words for power. One is authoritative power. That's like a policeman holds up his hand in front of a truck. The other is actual explosive power. The Greek word is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. That's the word that's used here. So he's saying the explosive power, look at it, of heaven. Do you know what the Greek word for heaven is? Uranus. Uranus. It's the word that we get uranium from. Uranium is what we get that which is nuclear from. So he says, the explosive power of that which is nuclear shall be shaken. Do you know how you get nuclear power from uranium? You set it off balance. If you could see that in the Greek, shall be shaken literally means to be set off balance. So Jesus is saying, at the end of time, there will be inevitably a nuclear explosion. That's the bad news. You want the good news? The rapture will have happened. I'll be gone. Now, Brother Rock, if the rapture happens while I'm preaching, you'll have to finish my sermon. I'm gone. <laughs> you want to think about nuclear power, man, and think about it this way. I saw in the paper the other day a description, an illustration of what nuclear power is. If you dig a ditch... 10 feet deep, 4 feet wide from Los Angeles to New York and fill it full of dynamite and set it off. That's the explosive power of the smallest nuclear weapon that Russia has. It's the smallest one they have. Then there's one final one. Notice he says, look up for Jesus is coming, the Son of Man is coming. Matthew 24, 14, look at that. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Jesus said when the gospel has been taken to all the nations, not to every person, not to every family, not to every tribe, I'm coming. Billy Graham alone did that in a worldwide hookup by satellite 12 years ago. The Wycliffe Bible Society, the American Bible Society have done all that. What am I saying? When there's a proliferation of signs in a brief amount of time, I'm coming. Sign number one, violence fills the land. Wasn't true when I was a child. It is now. Sign number two, homosexuality accepted as normal by society. It wasn't true when I was a child. It is now. Sign number three, Israel going home from the four corners of the earth. It wasn't true until 1948. Sign number four, water pollution worldwide, plant life, marine life dying. Wasn't true when I was a child, it is now. Sign number five, heart disease becoming the number one killer. Wasn't true when I was a child, it is now. Sign number seven, the threat of nuclear war. Wasn't true when I was a child, it is now. Sign number eight, the gospel being taken to all the nations of the world. Wasn't true when I was a child, it is now. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming. Now let me finish with this. One of these days, the rapture will take place. We're all going to go into the presence of the Lord. 
We're all going to go into the presence of the Lord. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much he loves you? If you look sometime, don't look now. At 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, those who are dead, with the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. Hey, listen, I hear a gospel singer sometimes say, Oh, I'm going to get to shake the hand of Jesus. The first thing I'm going to do is hug his neck, and I'm going to love him. Hey, I got news for you. That's not what it says. It says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with our dead loved ones, our mother that's in the grave, that baby that was yanked from our arms by the angel of death, that son that was killed in Iraq. We're going to be caught up together with them. We're going to be able to put our arms around our loved ones. We're going to say, thank God you're home again. I love you. And then arm in arm, hand in hand as a family, we can go kneel at the feet of Jesus and Jesus as a family. Thank you for bringing us together again. Jesus knows how lonely you are. And then we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb up there. Somebody said, you think we're going to eat in heaven? Of course we are. Why would you have supper you're not going to eat? What do you think we're going to eat in heaven? I don't think we'll eat devil's food cake. <laughs> Amen. And Jesus, the bridegroom, sitting at the end of the table. And then a little while he slips out. We don't notice it because we're talking to our mothers and our fathers. We haven't seen them since they died. And then suddenly there's a flourish of the heavenly trumpeters. And there's a glorious chant from the ten thousands upon ten thousand of angels who say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And suddenly the curtains part and into the room walks Jesus, not as a bridegroom, but now arrayed as the captain of the host of the army of God. And he says, finish up quick. We've got some unfinished business to take care of on earth. You ever ridden a horse? How many of you never ridden a horse? Oh, you're going to get to ride wide horses. We're going to go out the banquet hall, get on white horses and prance down the street of gold and down past the crystal river. And we're going around the throne which upon which sits El Shaddai, God in his glory. And out through the pearly gates and faster and faster and faster and faster we go. And the Antichrist and his false prophet are now down the valley of Armageddon. And they've got all their military weaponry. And the false prophet looks up to Mount Zion on which sits Jerusalem and he says tomorrow I'm going to do what the Turks couldn't do. I'm going to do what the Arabs couldn't do. I'm going to do what Hitler couldn't do. I'm going to drive every one of those little olive skinned Jews into the sea. I'm going to destroy them all. And about that time one of the planetarians sends a note and says the disturbance in the heavens and the beast says to the false prophet, what do you think it is? Do you think it's meteor showers? And the voice comes back, no, sir, it's not meteor showers. What is it, some kind of nuclear weapon? No, sir, it's not that either. Well, what is it? I can't explain it. Looks like a bunch of horses headed our way. <laughs> and then they land. And Zachariah says that when, watch it, this is where I become charismatic. 
when Jesus takes his foot out of that blessed stirrup and plants his foot on the Mount of Olives, the Bible says it's going to split down the middle across the Kidron Valley, up through the beautiful, and we're going to follow Jesus there. And he's going to situate himself down on the throne of David, and he's going to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. And the next morning, we follow him down toward Armageddon. And the Antichrist says to his henchmen, I see a cloud of dust up there. Is that that Jewish army and his false prophet? Puts his binoculars up. He says, well, it's an army, but they're not all Jews. There's some white people in that army. There's some black people in that army. There's some yellow people in that army. And I don't believe you're going to be able to understand this. There's some Presbyterians in that army. They're sitting straight in the saddle. <laughs> and there's some old renegade Baptists from Hillcrest Baptist Church. They're in that army. How do you know? They're riding loose, Lord. They're riding loose. <laughs> well, I hear they got a battle chant, is it? What is it? He listened. We're following the king. We're following the king. We're following the king. I want to say to every man, woman, boy, and girl, I'm following the king. I'm a Baptist, but I'm glad the king got me before the Baptist did. I'm a Southern Baptist, and I'll die one, but Southern Baptists won't get me to heaven, but the king will. I love my family, but my family can't get me into heaven. Only the king will. I'm following the king. Have I got anybody here that will join with me? I'm following the king. I'm following the king. Say it out loud. I'm following the king. I'm following the king. And he says... What kind of weapon they got up there? I hope those you don't try that slingshot trick again. <laughs> he said, all I can tell you, the only one's got a weapon is the man up front. What's he got? He got a sword. <laughs> on the blade of it, it says the word of God. And on his thigh, it's written king of kings and lord of lords. And he knows his doom is sealed. Jesus is coming. I'm going to close with this. Jesus is coming. But you may go before he comes. I lost a good friend this morning before daylight. She's in the presence of God. She loved to think about Jesus coming. But she went before he came. You've been sick, preacher. I have been too. We could have gone before he came. There's only one thing that matters. Hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to end this sermon exactly like I started. If you'll just indulge me one moment. I want every person in this building to bow your heads with me. There was a preacher here last year he might have sat where you sat he listened to some of the finest preaching you'll ever hear 
but he had a sin in his life. It wasn't a big sin. If I told you what it was, you'd laugh. You'd laugh. But God had dealt with him. If it's big enough for God to deal with, it's big enough for you to do something about it. I wonder right now with no silence and nobody's looking around. And nobody's looking around. Just me. I wonder if you'd lift your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. That touches me. There's something in my life just not right. Just not right. I do not want God to judge me. I see a hand going up, another, another. Hands are going up everywhere. Put them up everywhere. Put them up everywhere. Everywhere. Come on. Come on. Be honest. You don't have to tell anybody what it is. I want us to stand. I want us to pray. I want us to stand up right now. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Let me reiterate. A man who was regarded as one of the finest preachers anywhere was here last year. Today he's in a jail cell. Because last year, it was while I preached, it could have been while anybody else preached. God touched him. Something in his life wasn't right. He didn't yield. He didn't yield. He didn't yield. He's lost his family. He's lost his ministry. He's lost his reputation. You don't want that. You don't want that.